You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome back. Welcome back to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve, and I host the show each week. As always, we get into what's going on in the political world around uh, the United States here. I hope everybody is starting off their week. Uh, It's going to be a short week this week with Thanksgiving holiday coming up on Thursday. Uh, Fortunately, or hopefully, uh, you get that glorious extra day on Friday off, so you end up with a four-day weekend. So uh, enjoy your holiday. Enjoy your time with your family. Remember all the things we have to be thankful for. So let's get right into uh, this week's show. As always, we start off with our COVID report. And right now we're standing or sitting at 47.7 million cases of the disease uh, here in the United States. And 771,000 people, unfortunately, have uh, lost their lives to COVID-19. We have to date 447 million people have been vaccinated and 59% of the adult population in the country is fully vaccinated. Uh, In addition to that, uh, further expansions of the approvals for the Pfizer and uh, the the Johnson & Johnson booster shots uh, have been issued. uh, And all adults are now encouraged to go ahead and get that booster shot if it's been six months since you've had you know, the the complete uh, coronavirus vaccination, um, the medical and scientific community says uh, it is a, a good time to go ahead and get that booster shot uh, and re-strengthen your protection against COVID-19. So in related COVID news, um, we have news coming out of Florida And it appears that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a bill on this past Thursday that will force all Florida employers and hospitals to pay fines should they choose to enforce the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And this was according to an article from Business Insider that uh, came out on the 18th of November. So the, the law lays out a multitude of exemptions for vaccines that private employers must allow, including health or religious concerns, pregnancy or anticipated future pregnancy, and past recovery from COVID-19. Uh, the new legislation, which takes effect immediately, states that medium to large businesses who enforce the mandate will be fined $50,000 per employee violation. Smaller businesses with less than 100 employees will receive a $10,000 fine per violation. Uh, the, the legislation requires private employers to pay for COVID-19 testing or personal protective equipment for employees who choose to opt out of vaccination. Uh, Further, the legislation prohibits schools from enforcing face masks, requiring the COVID-19 vaccine, and quarantining healthy students. It also allows Florida students and parents to sue school districts for enforcing any of the newly banned rules. Um, 
According to Governor DeSantis, quote, I told Floridians that we would protect their jobs, and today we made that the law, DeSantis said in press release. Nobody should lose their job due to heavy-handed COVID mandates, and we had a responsibility to protect the livelihoods of the people of Florida. Uh, he added, I'm thankful to the Florida legislature for joining me and standing up for freedom. DeSantis signed the bill at a car dealership near Brandon, Florida, where he called it the strongest piece of legislation that's been enacted anywhere in the country. And that's according to a quote uh, obtained from CNN. Further, the uh, article that came out of CNN also talked about President Joe Biden's controversial vaccine mandate, which currently is on hold following a decision by a federal court of appeals. Uh, and that report came out on Wednesday. Uh, and a quote from President Biden said, this is not about freedom or personal choice, uh, he said in September when he unveiled his plan to stop the Delta variant, which included a vaccine mandate. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. Uh, the White House and the office of Ron DeSantis also did not uh, immediately respond to any additional requests for comments. So looking at this, we've got, you know, Governor Ron DeSantis, who Lord knows if you've listened to this show, you've heard me talk about him on more than one occasion, um, now is signing this bill, uh, basically imposing heavy fines against uh, businesses uh, or uh, hospitals that require uh, a vaccine mandate. Um, smaller businesses, again, with less than 100 employees, will receive a $10,000 fine per violation. So what does that mean? So if you have a small business and you have 40 employees, let's say, and you are requiring your 40 employees to be vaccinated in order to keep their jobs, you could be fined uh, by the state of Florida $10,000 for each of those 40 violations or in other words, $400,000 fine on a small business with less than 100 employees. Uh, large businesses, that number goes up to 50,000. And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm lost in, in this. So essentially, the state is saying you can't enforce a mandate to have people vaccinated. Uh, you can't, as a, a business, exercise an individual choice to, to uh, vaccinate your employees or to require your employees to be vaccinated. Uh, the state is saying that that's now illegal. Um, you know, it, it also, under these, this list of exemptions that the state of Florida is, is putting in place for vaccines, private employers must allow including health or religious concerns. Okay, I could get that one. Pregnancy or anticipated future pregnancy. So if you're pregnant right now, uh, they're saying you can't be forced to get a vaccine. I get that too. If you are anticipating being pregnant, and at least from the information I have here, there's nothing that talks about time frame. If you're anticipating being pregnant in the next six months, or in the next year, uh, what about 
someone who's thinking about starting a family three or four years from now. You know, it, it's just this continual uh, approach at heavy handedness uh, in the name of, quote, protecting freedom, close quote, that I just have problems with. Um, you know, it, it is just it, it's ridiculous. Uh, the legislation prohibits schools from enforcing face masks, requiring the COVID-19 vaccine and quarantining healthy students. And yet they still are going to uphold the requirement for students to be vaccinated against uh, the flu, mumps, measles, polio, all the other uh, illnesses that students in our public schools have been vaccinated against going back 90 years. But COVID is off the list. It also allows Florida students and parents, and this is the one that really gets to me, to sue school districts for enforcing any of the newly banned rules. Basically, they have taken a page out of Texas law, the anti-abortion law, that says um, it allows Florida students and parents to sue their school districts for enforcing any of these newly banned rules. Um so it basically, it, it looks like the government is telling us that, you know, we can't make choices on our own safety and that of our family, uh, that they're making the choice for us uh, in order to protect our, quote, freedom. We need to think about that. You know, it, it's, it's saying what I just said, in order to protect our freedom, we are going to let the state run just a little bit more of our lives. All right. I have problems with that. If you disagree with me, if you think that that's fine, you know, send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I really want to hear what you think about this Florida law and the impact that it's going to have on, you know, everyday uh, uh, freedoms for Florida residents. You know, it, it, to me, this makes no sense at all. I can see, you know, wanting to err on the side of caution, uh, but to outright ban and to impose these hefty fines and, and make businesses responsible for, you know, policing their employees uh, to, to satisfy the, the conservative view on COVID vaccinations, I just have a problem with that. So let's, let's talk about it. Send me emails. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear uh, what the opinion is out there on this law. And I think we can have the broader discussion is that are we going too far? Are we trying to micro-legislate every aspect of our existence now? I mean, keep in mind, Florida has had some of the highest COVID rates throughout the pandemic. Florida was leading in, in being a, a uh, super spreader state in events and activities that were spreading the COVID uh, disease around, not just in Florida, but in neighboring states. Uh, they have essentially, and, and Governor DeSantis has been kind of leading the charge on this, thumbing their nose at the more common sense things that you can do to protect yourself against this deadly pandemic, uh, all the while 
saying that they are doing this on behalf of their uh, residents and their freedoms. So, you know, th this Florida, you need to take a long, hard look at what the COVID-19 pandemic has meant in your state. Ask yourself this question. Is this something that you are being adequately uh, protected by, you know, these these measures? Does, you know, finding business for, you know, taking perhaps steps to help keep you safe and healthy while in the workplace, uh, is that a criminal action? Are we going to allow uh, children who are, you know, are healthy, either due to practicing, you know, safe um, health practices as, as suggested by the doctors and the scientists, uh, or are we going to just throw all of that away and mix the healthy children in with the uh, unvaccinated who are at higher risk for acquiring the disease and passing it along? I mean, at, at what point do we say to our elected officials, enough, this is going too far. This is not what we want to do. We want to, you know, get back to work. We want to do the things that we need to do to protect ourselves. Absolutely. But the idea of finding uh, a business $10,000 per worker because the business uh, is enforcing a uh, mask mandate or a vaccination mandate to protect itself and its customers um, I think, in my opinion, that goes too far. And I think it's worthy of having a discussion with our elected officials saying, you know, what is the point? Tell me what your intention is in making this the law. And you can't just tell me that it is about protecting, a, you know, our so-called, quote, freedom, close quote, from some, you know, as yet undefined attack. Uh, I, I just I, I just have big problem with the way that, you know, these laws are being approached uh, as we look out across uh, the country. I can't help but wonder you know, what's next. You know, for example, um, we have laws that protect us and keep us safe on our, our roadways, our streets and our highways. That's a government imposing restrictions on how fast we can drive our cars or when we can you know, turn to the right or turn to the left, uh, or what we should do when someone is crossing the street ahead of us. So you know, if, if we extend this, this concept, uh, what's, what's next? Are they going to eliminate speed limits? Because the government should not be uh, dictating to you how fast you can or cannot drive, and you know, we're going to eliminate that. We're going to fine any... Uh, local jurisdiction that seeks to enforce a speed limit uh, because you have a car that'll do 200 miles an hour and you want to drive down I-95 at 165 miles an hour you should be able to do it you know there are things that are put in place there are laws there are rules there are, are regulations there are restrictions that have been put in place by the government by agencies to protect the public safety. And in my opinion, the, the rules regarding protection from uh, being, being infected with the COVID uh, vaccine or the COVID virus rather, uh, fall into the same category. 
Um, I just don't see a distinction where that's different from, you know, any other restriction on, you know, our activities or our freedom of choice to do something that are imposed by, you know, federal, state or local uh, government or other entities. So that's my position. You know, if you like I said, if you disagree with me, send me an email. Let's let's uh, get into a discussion on it. We'll talk about it. Uh, bring me your thoughts. Uh, back it up with facts, you know, but let, let me know what you think. All right. And again, the email address for the show is firedupradio at yahoo.com. And I look forward to you know seeing comments and feedback on this. Uh, so we'll um, we'll wait to see what we get back. Uh, hopefully we've got some good dialogue in the future on this issue. And in, as you know, turning the page in related story, somewhat uh, same kind of approach. Um, apparently there is a law that was passed in Texas, um, Senate Bill 1927. Uh, which eliminates the requirement for a handgun license in Texas and with it the mandatory minimum five hours classroom instruction on basic gun laws, safe storage, and peaceful conflict resolution as well as a shooting proficiency test. And this is according to uh, public radio uh, or public media uh, Houston Public Media uh, reporting. Um, and so the new law signed into effect has law enforcement and gun safety experts worried about an increase in gun violence. Um, Houston Police De- Department Assistant Chief Larry Satterwhite um, at a permitless carry roundtable hosted by Harris County Precinct 2 Commissioner Adrian Garcia said he wasn't worried about lawful gun owners committing crimes, but he said he was concerned about people no longer required to take safety classes and being irresponsible with firearms. You know, overwhelmingly, in quoting quoting him, overwhelmingly the people, the number of people that engage in shootings and crimes in our city, in the city of Houston, are people who would never be able to carry a firearm, he said during the roundtable. The question is, how do they get that gun? And this is the problem. So, you know, the the article cites that last year almost 3,000 guns were stolen from cars in Houston. So far this year, that number has already surpassed 2,000. So, the the idea here, much like as we were talking about with the 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 COVID uh, restrictions in Florida. The idea here is that one of the sets of rules and regulations that help in in no small way to keep us safe from unnecessary gun violence or excessive gun violence um, is the the uh, permit required, the training the responsible gun ownership training, the shooting proficiency, and all of that. Uh, if that's gone away, if anybody can just walk into a store to a gun dealership and buy a weapon and walk out with it without any kind of, um, you know, a- any kind of holding them responsible or accountable, 
and in my view, just adds to the problem we have in this country about people who should not be allowed to possess firearms having, you know, pretty much unfettered access to get them. Um, you know, and, and it is not without controversy, even in, in the state of Texas, where, you know, guns have a long standing history going back to, you know, cowboy days and so forth. But polls have shown that, and this again, it's according to the article, polls have shown nearly 60% of Texans oppose permitless carry and gun safety advocates fear it will lead to more shootings. Um, supporters, including the National Rifle Association, argue that the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution gives Americans the right to carry guns without a permit. And they also say that there is no data from the 19 other states with constitutional carry laws that would suggest crime went up after their laws changed. So, you know, it... it <laughs> Once again, the the discussion around the Second Amendment uh, weaves its way into uh, a, a broader discussion about the the better and safe use of uh, firearms in this country. Um, you know, so the 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 best advice that was given out at this roundtable conference um uh, was from a former Houston police officer and Harris County Sheriff said that absent any regulation in Texas, gun owners should still use common sense. Quote, lock up your guns and keep them safe, uh, this uh, former police officer said. If you purchase a weapon, it's worth it to be trained. You can still take a class for concealed carry. We all have a duty to be responsible to be a responsible gun owner. Um, Houston's mayor, uh, Sylvester Turner, expressed concern over permitless carry. Uh, with increasing gun crimes on the rise nationwide, adding more unregistered and unregulated firearms in the population will not increase public safety. Law enforcement is clear on that, Turner said. This flawed new law will have a harmful impact inside our neighborhoods and on our streets. Unregulated guns uh, aggravate our public safety problems. And uh, the article also included a tweet from Lena Hidalgo, um, you know, and she pointed out that today permitless carry, a.k.a. pick up a gun and carry it, goes into effect in Texas. This doesn't make us safer. It makes it easier for people to settle scores with gunfire. Here at the county level, we'll continue to lean forward by promoting smart, sensible gun safety policies. So the, the idea here, and it's interesting that this comes out uh, in, in the general aftermath of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, verdict of finding him not guilty uh, of uh, killing two people and wounding a third that he acted in, quote, self-defense, close quote. Uh, and, you know, if if more people have weapons, uh, we can probably expect to see more Kyle Rittenhouses out there, more vigilante justice, more people uh, like the three um, people down in Georgia 
that uh, gunned down Ahmaud Arbery, you know, we can just expect to see more of these types of crimes if we are regulating our our gun possession and our gun ownership less and less. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on what transpires uh, in Texas, um, but it looks like, you know, for lack of a better term, it looks like cowboy justice is returning to the Lone Star State. All right, we'll take our break here. We'll come back on the other side. Uh, I want to talk about some other interesting uh, articles that cropped up on the radar. Uh, you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. We'll be right back after the break. Young John Lewis, you're so full of passion. In your lifetime, you will be arrested 45 times in your mission to help redeem the soul of America. In 1956, when you were only 16 years old, you and some of your brothers and sisters and first cousins went down to the public library trying to get library cards, trying to check out some books. And you were told by the librarian that the library was for whites only, not for colors. I said to you now, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to continue to speak up to speak out. You became so inspired by Dr. King and Rosa Parks that you got involved in the civil rights movement. Something touched you and suggested that you write a letter to Dr. King. You didn't tell your teachers, you didn't tell your mother and your father. Dr. King wrote through back and invited you to come to Montgomery. In the meantime, you have been admitted to a little school in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was there that you got involved in the sit-ins. You would be sitting there in an orderly, peaceful, nonviolent fashion, and someone would come up and spit on you. Or put a light cigarette down your back, pour hot water, hot coffee, hot chocolate on you. <laughs> got arrested the first time and you felt so free. You felt liberated. You felt like you had crossed over. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! We are free at last! You probably will never believe it, but the boy from Troy, as Dr. King used to call you, will become the embodiment of nonviolence in America. America, wake up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. Two years after you speak at the march on Washington, you will see the face of death leading the march for voting across the Pettus Bridge in Selma. We're marching today from Selma to Montgomery. We're marching to our state capital to dramatize to our nation and to the world 
our determination to win first prize citizenship. Troopers here advance toward the group. You were beaten on that bridge. You were left bloody. You thought you were going to die. But you would make it. You would live to see your mother and father cast their first votes. The change we need doesn't come from Washington. Change comes to Washington. You also live to see this segregated nation you live in. Still an African-American president and his family to the White House. And guess what? Guess what, young John? That some divine providence, as it is to send a message down through the ages, that man will be nominated on the 45th anniversary of the March on Washington. And all of those signs that you saw as a little child that said, white men, colored men, white women, colored women, those signs are gone. And the only places you will see those signs today will be in a book, in a museum, on a video. John, thank you for going to the library with your brothers, your sisters, and cousins. You were denied a library card. You were sad. But one day, you've been elected to the Congress. You wrote a book called Walking with the Wind. And the same library invited you to come back for a book signing where blacks and white citizens showed up. And after the book signing, they gave you a library card. And believe as Dr. King and A. Philip Randolph and others taught you, that we're one people. And it doesn't matter whether we're black or white, Latino, Asian American, or Native American. That maybe our foremothers and our forefathers all came here in different ships. We're all in the same boat now. John, you understood the words of Dr. King when he said we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. If not, we will perish as foes. Rest in peace, Representative John Lewis, and thank you, and God bless you. And welcome back to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. So, um, if you recall last week's show, I uh, brought up and mentioned the fact that President Biden had signed uh, the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure bill uh, into law. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned at the time of that was that to keep an eye out because there were going to be Republicans who did not vote for the bill 
coming out of the House and Senate who were nevertheless going to stand up and take credit for their role in bringing this infrastructure bill to, uh, to the American people. Uh, well, we have uh, what's probably our first uh, Republican to stand up and take some credit for the infrastructure bill he had nothing to do with getting passed. Uh, and that's Alabama Republican Representative Gary Palmer, uh, who's been getting some sharp criticism after he touted the benefits for his district from a provision in the infrastructure bill he voted against. On Monday, the same day that President Biden signed the bill, Palmer issued a press release taking credit for a position, I'm sorry, a provision he introduced directing $369 million to the Northern Beltline Project, a 52-mile, six-lane corridor under construction in his home state. Uh, he talked about how that it's consistently been one of his top priorities, uh, and how Birmingham, Alabama is currently one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country without a complete belt line around it, and so on and so forth. He also uh, made mention of the uh, Appalachian Regional Commission for estimating the project will have an annual economic impact exceeding $2 billion in 10 years and create 14,000 jobs. Uh, and he's quoted as saying, this is the opportunity we have been working for as a region and as a state. Now is the time for us to take advantage of it and complete the work by finishing the Northern Belt Line and building a better future for the Birmingham metro area and central Alabama. And so stepping out of the article for a second, and this is what I had mentioned uh, in, in last week's show, that you know Republicans were going to not be involved with moving this bill forward, thus mandating that the Democrats uh, would have to do it on a party line basis, um, which from a strategy standpoint gives the Republicans some little bit of cover should things go south in the overall process. Um, but however, as we've seen now, we're starting to see, at least we've seen one and there, there may be another one out there somewhere, uh, of Republican lawmakers who are going to stand up and say, yes, see what I did when you didn't vote for it. And I think it is incumbent on us as the voting public, whether you're Democrat or Republican, to point out to these people that um, it is somewhat hypocritical for you to stand up and take credit for this bill when throughout the time that the bill was being discussed in the House and in the Senate, uh, as you know, Representative Palmer is, is noted here for, uh, by, by the article, Palmer had previously blasted the bill when it passed on November 6th and said in a statement that he supported infrastructure funding focused on national priorities rather than wasting hundreds of billions of dollars on a Green New Deal wish list and programs under the guise of human infrastructure that simply expand government control in, in our lives. You know, and, you know, it's true, uh, out of the bill, $7.5 billion in new funds are set aside to build out electric vehicle charging stations, uh, which is a provision of the Green New Deal. Uh, the bill is focused on core infrastructure needs and includes $550 billion in new spending. 
Uh, and, and of course, you know, Representative Palmer's statement drew some clapback from Democrats who blasted the GOP congressman after he tweeted about the law, deeming him a, quote, hypocrite, close quote, as Palmer appeared to take credit for the provision benefiting his home state, but failed to mention his no vote on the bill itself. Uh, Representative uh, Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California, tweeted out uh, shortly after uh, Palmer's statement came out. Uh, in, in the tweet, he goes, you mean the funding you voted against that funding? Uh, and that was treated out by Eric Swalwell. Um, Elizabeth Hance, a spokesperson in Palmer's Capitol office, said Palmer's opposition was to the overall bill being, quote, full of problems, including items not related to traditional infrastructure. You know, and he they're citing something that other uh, Republicans have have stated that there are things in the both parts of the infrastructure bill that really are not what is considered true, quote, infrastructure. You know, when you think of highways and bridges and trains and planes and airports and waterways and, and all of that stuff. Um, you know, he said, Palmer said in the initial release that the Northern Beltline was a positive measure, even though he opposed the overall legislation. Had they brought the bill he authored to the floor as a standalone piece of legislation or even a package that was truly paid for infrastructure, he would have supported the overall bill. Uh, you know, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, also, you know, like yours truly, had predicted that Republicans would take credit for the legislation promising investments in every pocket in the country as she said, they have done earlier this year when Democrats passed the American Rescue Act for COVID-19 relief without a single Republican vote in either chamber. You know, and, you know, it, it, she goes on to say, we're way behind where we should be in terms of building infrastructure. Um, she said at a pre Capitol Hill press conference in March, asked if that effort will get GOP support after COVID-19 relief did not. She replied, quote, so I would hope it will because it will be in their districts. Again, they'll vote no and take the dough, show up at the ribbon cutting and all the rest. Um, you know, and, and her, her closing quote on it was, quote, vote no, take the take the dough. That's what Republicans do. Uh, but that doesn't help people, she said. Um, you know, and it, it's. It's, again, part and parcel of what I said earlier in the show, that the, the political system in, in, in this country seems to be, you know, just coming apart. The, the wheels seem to be falling off in all of the crazy uh, legislation and laws that are being signed, whether at the state level, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the, the uh, DeSantis law in Florida, or, you know, in the Texas where you no longer need a permit in order to uh, buy and carry a gun. Um, you know, there, there just seems to be the wheels just seem to be falling off the wagon uh, in in our our government at the present time. And we need to take uh, or retake ownership of our 
our government. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, in the Senate, 19 Republicans joined Democrats. Uh, one of those that joined was Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has touted the legislation as good for the country in his home state of Kentucky. Um, I watched, and it's a quote from McConnell, I watched each of the two previous administrations struggle with the issue of how to meet the infrastructure needs of the country, McConnell told reporters Tuesday on Capitol Hill. 75% of the American people support infrastructure. Uh, and you know, McConnell was on the record uh, having said that you know, he approves of those portions of the infrastructure bill um, that at the time he was not supporting, even though at the end he did come down and vote in favor of it. Uh, he was saying how he looked forward to the, the improvements that would occur in his district uh, coming out of the infrastructure bill, uh, even though, as I said, you know, at the time he was not supporting the overall uh, legislative agenda. So we'll, we will continue to keep an eye on that. We will continue to bring information and tell you which uh, legislators, uh, particularly on the Republican side, are coming out in favor of this. And not so much to, to, to do, you know, an aha or I got you or I told you so, but we need to be aware of when we're being gaslit by our political elected officials. We need to be aware and call them to account when they promise one thing and do something else. Uh, when they, they promise to oppose uh, the, the legislation, yet stand up in favor of it like they've been one of its staunchest supporters from day one uh, when it comes to benefit them, their political ambitions, their districts and bring money into into their areas so you know we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that we'll keep you posted all right and so this next story uh came across my radar and i i could not get past it i had to bring it into this week's show uh and it, it is it is this republicans are calling for defunding pbs after Sesame Street announces its first Asian American puppet. Uh, this came out on the 19th, and it reported that Sesame Street announced that the show would debut its first ever Asian American puppet, uh, whose name is, and, and I hope I pronounce it right, Ji Young, a seven-year-old character of Korean heritage who loves soccer, skateboarding, and enjoying time in the kitchen with her family. Parents unanimously cheered over the news since Asian representation on the long-running children's series has been lacking, and a puppet who reminds young Asian viewers of themselves can undoubtedly help promote cultural understanding and acceptance. A more important mission now uh, than ever before due to the racist anti-Asian hate crimes that continue to occur as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, not everyone was thrilled by the announcement though, despite the fact that Sesame Street has taught important lessons about public health, anti-racism for decades, some Republicans are now inexplicably furious about the show's inclusion of an Asian American puppet. Matt Schlapp, 
the president of the Conservative Political Action Committee, tweeted his feelings about it all, asking, quote, what race is Ernie and what race is Bert? And he added, quote, you are insane, PBS, and we should stop funding you, close quote. Uh, not content to keep his beef with a children's show confined to Twitter, he appeared on Fox and Friends, first to double down on the fact that he's apparently a lifelong Sesame Street fan and he simply doesn't understand why the show wants to, quote, inject race, close quote. According to uh, Matt Schlapp, he says, I grew up watching and it wasn't ever about race, he said. It was about learning lessons and learning to read and learning tolerance and they want to inject race. Perhaps unsurprisingly, He's also offended by the show's portrayal of gender adding. And by the way, this whole question about gender into everything. One of the Muppet characters had a son and the son wanted to be a daughter and they just won't stop with their push for woke politics, close quote. It's unclear exactly what gender focus Sesame Street uh, storyline, according to the article he's referring to, but it's worth noting that PBS has supported American communities for decades, providing educational resources to help kids build literacy, math, science, and other skills through its programming and platforms. So even though conservatives think they're getting a big own on Big Bird by not inviting him to next year's CPAC events, uh, picking petty fights with characters on an educational TV series as they're trying to teach racial and cultural acceptance truly isn't the win they seem to believe it is. So let, let, let's kind of recap the scorecard here. So let's see. You've got a global pandemic that we're desperately trying to get under control. Uh, we just uh, signed... Uh, part one of an infrastructure bill to address critical infrastructure needs that have been neglected for the better part of uh, 30 years in this country. We have, um, you know, overtures and, and aggressions by both China and Russia, uh, two of our, our adversaries at the global level. We've still got, you know, economic worries going on with the economy still being you know under recovery coming out of the the covid pandemic and you guys uh decide that you're going to uh take on sesame street and uh pick on a asian american character um because you believe that's wrong in some way and to to uh matt schlapp um sesame street has been about uh, racial inclusion pretty much since day one. They've had members of the cast who are uh, Hispanic and Latinx, who are African-American, who are Asian-American, who are young, who are uh, senior citizens. They have been across the board. They have had uh, characters on as guests representing uh, all walks of life. Their Muppets are a broad cross-section of, uh, of ethnicities. And now you are going to attack Sesame Street because they are introducing 
a Korean American character into their show. Uh, you know, Match Lap, I think you got better things to do with your time. Uh, you know, you could be working to help get, uh, you know, a, a better approach to voting rights in this country uh, that reflect, you know, better access to the polls for everyone. Now, you know, I get, you know, you want to make some, you know, restrictions and constrictions on, on approaches and mechanics and so forth, but you could be working constructively uh, to get across a, a more comprehensive, uh, secure voting system in this country instead of going after a puppet. Uh, you know, it's like I said, I didn't know whether to laugh out loud at this article or, you know, be furious at it. So I'm somewhere in the middle. Part of me is laughing, is laughing out loud because, again, with all the things going on uh, in this country that we need to be concerned about and all the things going on in the world that, you know, we should be concerned about as a leader of the free world. This is what this is the the battle you pick. This is the hill you want to die on Sesame Street. So I just wanted to to bring that out. Um, as I said, you know, it, it's just been a crazy, crazy week. Um, you know, we we've had uh, a verdict come down in the uh, Kyle Witt Rittenhouse case where he was found not guilty of all counts. Uh, which sends an, an implicit message to uh, people who want to continue to support uh, movements like Black Lives Matter and others that, you know, there is a risk that you might get shot uh, and that there would be no repercussion for that. So something else to keep in mind and be aware of that is another thing that, you know, the our, our leaders should be addressing Congressman Schlapp, um, you know, and and making sure that we're having a a proper and positive and constructive dialogue on these elements. Um, you know, the the trial is still going on of the three men who chased down Ahmaud Arbery down in Georgia and shot and killed him when he was unarmed. Um, you know, there is still the idea of the violence that we see toward women, toward Asian Americans, toward Asians in general because of the COVID uh, pandemic and, you know, uh, the, the fears that that has created. There are all kinds of, of things to go on about rather than attacking a children's educational show uh, and talking about defunding the public broadcasting system because of a puppet. Uh, we're, we're better than this. We, you know, America is better than this. Uh, this should not be a thing. Just as going after another Sesame Street character, Big Bird, uh, because uh, he announced that that he had gotten a vaccine and was vaccinated against COVID-19. Um, Big Bird is a fictional character. The fact that uh, Big Bird got a vaccine is a storyline. 
It is not a a reality. Nobody injected the Muppet with the vaccine. But yet, you know, there are so many uh, conservatives and and so forth that just got so triggered. Um, They have uninvited Big Bird, Bert and Ernie from the next uh, upcoming uh, conservative political action committee uh, conference or CPAC. Um, and uh, again, I, I can't make this stuff up. This is real. You can search, find it in the news. Just search Big Bird. Um, they have uninvited them from CPAC because Big Bird made an announcement on Sesame Street that he got vaccinated against COVID-19. This is this is where we've come to. So, you know, we've we've got some some thinking some soul searching and probably a little bit of growing up to do people. Um, We have major problems and major things that demand our attention and things that we have to, to address. We have uh, voters who are being disenfranchised daily. We have redistricting going on that is cutting out entire districts uh, and diluting the representation of minorities in our elected system. We've got all kinds of um, hate issues going on in this country, and yet uh, we're going after fictional characters on a children's television show. So, you know, just something to think about. Let's, you know, make sure that we keep our eye on the ball. Let's make sure we're doing our diligence, finding out the information that we need, getting it from multiple sources and and learning what the truth is uh, and just keeping informed and keeping educated that's what we need to do so we're going to wrap it there i want to thank everybody for joining as always i appreciate it please if you have comments um on the show if you want to come at me about you know defending big bert and the the new uh ji young character on sesame street bring it um you know, if, if you disagree with me about the gun law uh, in Texas, the permitless gun carry, or any of the subjects that we've talked about today, send an email to the show, firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to get your comments, your criticisms. Um, let's, let's have a discussion. Uh, so everybody, please, uh, this week we will be celebrating Thanksgiving. There is, you know, a a lot that we have to be thankful for. Uh, We are indeed coming toward the end of this uh, dark period with the pandemic. We still have work to do, but there is now a a brighter light of hope that we can see. Um, Let's make sure that we stop and think about those among us who are less fortunate than we are. Uh, you know, let's let's think about you know what we can do to help those who may you know be uh, living on the streets or homeless or any of the the things that you know just we can as a society help. So the, we have many things to be thankful for. Let's reach out and give some more people some things that they can be thankful for. Everybody, please take care. Stay safe. I look forward to talking to you all again 
in seven days. And again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Started yesterday, and we're already late.